please be seated. So on this ninth day of the new year, uh, I'm wondering how many of us are annual resolution makers. <laughs> uh, it may or may not surprise you that I'm very committed to this annual ritual. Resolutions are things that we commit to doing in order, in order to better ourselves or our families or our church or our communities. Uh, resolutions are a way of resetting and recommitting to the most important things. And the concept of uh, making New Year's resolutions goes back at least as far as the 1780s, so it's been part of our culture for a long time now. And it's interesting to me that the, the etymology of the word resolution traces all the way back to the original Latin, where it meant something like uh, reducing things into simpler forms. I like that original meaning and the way that it has evolved into our modern understanding because at their most helpful, I think, uh, resolutions are those simple things that we commit to doing to help us be better, that help us uh, do better. And you know the, the most common New Year's resolutions. I'm sure they include things like exercising more and eating healthy and getting organized maybe learning a new skill or hobby, saving more money, that kind of thing. If you're a, a resolution maker, uh, chances are some of those resolutions have ended up on your list at some point or another. In fact, uh, I'm sure that some of us here today have some of them on our lists for 2022. As I said, uh, every year I, I make resolutions. I actually make specific goals relating to those resolutions each year, about a whole range of subjects professional learning, uh, church priorities, financial resolutions, health and fitness goals, that kind of thing. And I track them throughout the year and then I review them at the end of the year. Most years I do pretty well with most of my resolutions. Uh, some of them I have to revise along the way, while some of them I give up on entirely by Easter, uh, if not sooner. <laughs> now, of course, the subject of New Year's resolutions uh, and our often tenuous commitment to them provides fertile ground for comedians and commentators. The uh, incomparable Mark Twain on this subject once said, now is the accepted time to make your annual good resolutions. Next week, you can begin paving hell with them as usual. <laughs> but still, I think that New Year's resolutions can be a helpful way to recommit each year to the things that help us be better. Uh, to the things that help us to do better. New Year's resolutions can be a tool that we can use to remind ourselves each year of the actions and the practices and the habits that keep us healthy, and it will certainly not surprise you that I think that spiritual resolutions should be on our lists as well. And as it turns out, uh, in the rich liturgical cycle of the church year, there is a Sunday that can help us do just that. In the church calendar, today is known as Baptism of the Lord Sunday. Not every church, uh, not every congregation celebrates it, and those who do don't necessarily uh, celebrate it every year. But in the lectionary cycle, the first Sunday after Epiphany each year is intended to commemorate the Baptism of the Lord, with uh, the recommended gospel reading every year being one of the accounts of Jesus' baptism. This year is Luke's gospel in the lectionary, and so we're going to read from Luke. It's chapter uh, 3. I'm going to read the first, uh, well, 2 and 3, and then 15 to 18, then we'll come back and read the rest later. 
Listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the evangelist Luke. That's, that's not a typo. We are in the middle of a verse here, um, but the first half of that verse has a whole bunch of names in it that I didn't feel like pronouncing. So we will uh, start with during. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, recognize those names, they'll show up again during Holy Week. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us the story of Jesus' baptism, each with their own unique details. John alludes to it, uh, although as with most things in John, it's it's a unique presentation of the event. And the fact that it appears in all four Gospels obviously means that all four Gospel authors thought that it was important enough to record for posterity. That's a, a fact that's reinforced by our annual celebration of the baptism of the Lord. You may know in the United Methodist tradition we recognize two sacraments, baptism and Holy Communion. Uh, these are the two sacraments that Jesus himself participated in, although he would not have called them sacraments. That, that term came into being uh, later in the early life of the church. And it's clear from the biblical record that baptism was actually inaugurated by the, the fascinating character of John the Baptist. As we talked about during Advent a few weeks ago, the, the first chapter of Luke's gospel makes clear that John and Jesus are related. John's mother, Elizabeth, and Jesus' mother, Mary, uh, have a unique relationship that we read about in that first chapter. We also read about how the destinies of their two sons are connected even before they're born. So that when John appears at the beginning of Luke's third chapter, uh, we already know some important elements of his backstory. And Luke tells us that, that John is inspired by God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to preach and practice something called a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, which is an important theme in Luke's gospel. It comes up over and over again, so much so uh, that we should probably talk a little bit about what we mean by repentance, because that, that word sometimes carries a fair amount of baggage for people for a whole variety of reasons. It's sometimes used, um, well, I would say misused to scare people to the Lord. It's sometimes connected with feelings of deep regret or worse, unhealthy guilt or worse yet, a sense of shame. The distinctions between those are a different sermon. But depending on on your faith background, that word uh, may or may not carry negative connotations for you. But biblically speaking, uh, the word repentance actually has a a very practical meaning in the Hebrew tradition, uh, which is to say in the Old Testament tradition of 
the prophets, which is certainly the tradition that John the Baptist understands himself to be in. Repentance literally means, to repent literally means to turn, as in uh, to retrace one's steps in order to get back on the right path. In, in New Testament Greek, the word repentance also means uh, to turn, in this case, to turn to the Lord. And it also includes the additional concept of changing one's mind or coming to a new way of thinking. So that when John the Baptist talks about a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin, he's talking about a ritual that, that helps us to turn back to God, to get us back on the path of faith and righteousness, all of which is to say that the biblical meaning of the word repentance has nothing to do with beating ourselves up emotionally or psychologically or spiritually. Instead, it has everything to do with uh, recognizing when we've gone astray and resetting ourselves spiritually, returning to the path that we know God intends for us. And there's a, a detail in all of the stories of uh, John the Baptist's practice of baptism and Jesus' own baptism, there's a detail that reinforces this understanding of repentance. We read that John's ministry takes place in the wilderness, which is to say the desert. As astute Old Testament scholars, we know that it was in the wilderness that God's people became God's people. It was in the desert, in the exodus from Egypt, that the people received the law from God and made their covenant with God. Which means that the story of John the Baptist and therefore the story of the baptism of Jesus is set in a place that is a, a spiritual metaphor for a return to God. Baptism then is a ritual that physically embodies a spiritual reality, which is actually a pretty good working definition of a sacrament a sacrament that Jesus himself participated in before he began his ministry. So let's read about that now. It's just a couple of verses. Luke 3, 20 and 22, or 21 and 22. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Amen. So, since we're part of a tradition that, uh, for the most part, practices infant baptism, even though not all of us were raised Methodist, still, I wonder how many of us uh, remember our own baptisms. In the Methodist tradition, uh, we consider a sacrament to be a means of grace, and what we mean by that is that uh, we believe that through the bread and juice of communion and the water of baptism, we experience an outward and visible sign of an inward and invisible grace. That's the, the working definition of a sacrament that St. Augustine came up with in the fifth century, which is to say that uh, bread and juice and water are these tangible and tactile reminders of God's great love for us. Now with communion, we get to experience that means of grace every month, or actually at the early service, we serve communion in the chapel after the early service every week, if you like communion. 
Baptism, though, is a, is a one-time event. We believe that you're only ever baptized once. Now, as a pastor, uh, I have the tremendous gift and blessing of participating in baptisms rather frequently, which I love. But for most of us, uh, that particular means of grace is a, a handful of times in a lifetime occurrence, specifically at our own baptisms. And then we're, we get an up-close view for the baptisms of our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren if we're that blessed. And thus far in my life, there have been uh, three baptisms that I will always remember personally in my own personal uh, spiritual journey, each of which was memorable in uniquely wonderful ways. I actually remember my own baptism. I was born into a tradition that did not baptize infants. Uh, My mom and I joined the Roman Catholic tradition, which of course does uh, baptize infants, when she married my stepfather. I was four when they married. I was seven when my little brother was born, and I distinctly remember, still today, all these years later, uh, when he and I were baptized together shortly after he was born. It was, for me, this moment of, of welcome. It was a, an experience of belonging to the church, in my case, a newer tradition that I had not been born into. And then uh, when my wife Whitney and I had our oldest son, Max, I was actually already the associate pastor at Arapahoe United Methodist Church, just down Coit and Richardson. The day that our first child was baptized, I chose to be a dad that day. I didn't participate in the service. Uh, I wanted to be a parent. And what we had is the pastors that have meant so much to us for almost a decade actually did his baptism. I had just graduated seminary a few months before. We were just beginning our lives as a pastoral family, and it was an incredibly holy moment because uh, we were baptizing our son in the church, like literally in the building where we had become Methodists, and in the sanctuary where I had heard my call to ordain ministry, and with the church family that had walked with us through this deeply formative part of our lives. A few years later, when our youngest son, Sam, came along, I was senior pastor of First United Methodist Church of Henrietta, Texas, which is out by uh, Wichita Falls, and that day I had the tremendous honor of baptizing him. Did you baptize Miles? Yeah, it's a, it's a, a high and holy moment, for sure. But that particular day in Henrietta, uh, the power went out in Henrietta. After a bad storm the night before, most of the county was without power. Uh, and we had lots of family in town for the weekend, Uh, We could not reschedule, but the church building had no power, and so there were just a handful of congregation members for worship that morning. Now, by that point of his life, Max, who was not quite five at the time, had spent a tremendous amount of time in the church. It felt like a second home to him, still does for both him and his brother. Thank God. I'm very appreciative for that, Uh, but there's a a shadow side to that, (laughs) because as we were in front of this small congregation in that powerless sanctuary, he was pretty squirmy. Um, Whitney reminded me yesterday that as I was pouring the water from the pitcher into the baptismal font, (laughs) Max was behind me pretending, like licking the air, pretending to drink the water. Uh, It was not exactly appropriate. Uh, He was clearly much more comfortable being the center of attention than letting his little brother steal the spotlight for a few minutes. And so at one point uh, in this service, I knelt down to whisper to him. Uh, A congregation member later said, oh, it was so touching that you got to say something to Big Brother before you baptized his little brother. Well, had the power been on and my mic 
been working, they would have heard me say, knock it off, you are in such big trouble right now. <laughs> As I say, uh, every baptism is memorable in its own way. <laughs> now, I love that we baptize infants because I love the theology of baptism in the Methodist tradition. In, in baptism, what we're doing is acknowledging an already present grace of God. We're acknowledging that God is already at work in the life of this child and will be throughout that child's life. But I also love that once a year the church sets aside a day for us to reaffirm the vows that we, uh, that our parents make on our behalf for those of us who are baptized before we have memories or to reaffirm our commitment for those of us who remember our baptism or uh, for those who are not yet baptized to reflect upon and prepare for the commitment we may feel moved to make someday. And this is the perfect time of year to do it. <laughs> At the time of year when our culture encourages us to make New Year's resolutions, recommitting to those simple actions or practices or habits or goals that we commit to in order to be better, that help us to, to do better especially if there are uh, ways in which we need to retrace our steps to get back on the right path. Or if there are some parts of our lives where we need to, to return to God or draw closer to God. As we celebrate the baptism of the Lord, let us also celebrate the reaffirmation of our faith. Mark Twain was humorously pessimistic about our follow-through on resolutions, but his his contemporary, Ralph Waldo Emerson, was decidedly more sanguine. He said, the only person you are destined to become is the person you decide to be. So, let's take the opportunity to decide to recommit to our faith. Now, I'm sure, like me, you guys are worn out by the pandemic. Uh, if this was not a pandemic, we would have water at the uh, heads of each of the aisles for us to come down and, you know, touch, make the sign of the cross if that's meaningful to you, whatever, splash around in. But we figured it would be better to, uh, <laughs> I mean, it would have to be like vats of hand sanitizer, which is gross, so we're not going to do that. Uh, but we are going to, there's water in this font. We have a beautiful custom-made font here at Christ United. Uh, we put special water in it when we do baptisms, and there's water in the font. We will now answer the questions that um, we were asked, our parents were asked at our baptism, or um, if for those who are being baptized in the Methodist Church and are old enough to answer questions, here, here are the ones that we ask. Now, the service begins with this explanation, brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church, we are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation, and we're given new water, or new birth through water and the Spirit, and all of this is God's gift offered to us without price. That's what grace means. And then, when it's an infant, I'll ask the parents these questions on their behalf, or in our case, as we reaffirm our faith, we'll ask these questions that John Wesley wrote a long, long time ago, and that have been part of our tradition for centuries. On behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? 
Do you accept the freedom and the power that God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? Those are the three historic questions. And then for those of, us, those of us who are old enough to answer for ourselves, which is all of us here, according to the grace given to you, will you remain faithful members of Christ's holy church and serve as Christ's representatives in the world? And then in the baptismal ceremony, I was asked the parents, by what name will we baptize this child? Not because I don't know it. We've, we know who's being baptized, but because it's important for them to say their kiddo's name. Um, and if you notice, when we do a baptism, it's only the first name and the middle name. It's never the last name because the symbolism, the theology there is that in baptism, we are all incorporated into the household of God. We are all part of the family of God. And so this day, as we have reaffirmed our faith, may the Holy Spirit work within you that being born through water and the Spirit, you may remain always a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ and the family of God said together. Amen.